Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, brought to you by Whole Whale, we are talking about some record-setting events in the bad way. We are talking about a global warning about global warming for social impact and climate change advocates out there. And we'll also touch on some Google Analytics updates, information coming out about threads, and a little bit more. How's it going, Nick? It's going great, George. How are you? I'm doing well. I feel like it was, despite being a semi-holiday week last week, like very active on a lot of fronts. We had universal analytics deprecating, maybe-ish, and also the big drop of threads, on top of which we were logging some very hot days. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you wanted to put this in uh, in our feed? Yeah, George, absolutely. So sometimes we bring stories into this podcast that may not obviously be related to our nonprofit audience, but we think are so important that we'll ultimately have effects on everyone that they're important to put at the top of the show. So our first story this week is that last week, Earth, our planet, repeatedly set records for the hottest day ever recorded. And we felt that that underpins the urgency of protecting vulnerable communities. So data from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, as well as visualizations from the University of Maine, show that the period from July 3rd to July 6th of last week constituted the four hottest days ever recorded on Earth. Thursday, July 6th, setting the newest record when the global average temperature climbed to an unprecedented 17.23 degrees Celsius. That is 63.02 degrees Fahrenheit, which is a full 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit above average for the date, according to NOAA data data compiled by Axios and other news organizations. So we felt that we wanted to upfront this because among higher temperatures, increased climate-related disasters and other extreme weather phenomenon, rights organizations, as well as community-based civic organizations, note the disparate effect of such emergencies on people with disabilities and the elderly. Last summer in Europe, a heat wave there is estimated to have killed tens of thousands of people particularly elderly and people with disabilities. And even recently, George, in New York City, New York City's seen increased smoke from Canadian wildfires. The city, you know, operates cooling centers, but environmental organizations in the city cite them as woefully inadequate. And every year, New Yorkers die from heat. The World Health Organization estimates that extreme heat, again, kills tens of thousands of people every year. And humanitarian groups, as cited by humanitarian news outlet, The New Humanitarian, cites catastrophic level events like famine, drought, and other humanitarian emergencies as climate-based emergencies that are more likely to become more frequent down the future as our Earth warms, both from uh, an extreme heat standpoint, rising sea levels, and the overall effect of a hotter Earth on our communities. And George, I think we want to talk about this topic because 
it's easy to kind of think about, okay, hotter communities, flooding somewhere else, drought and famine somewhere else. But George, I live in New York. These temperatures, you know, New York always gets hot. But now that I like live in the city, I live in Manhattan, it's really obvious how kind of dire extreme weather is for vulnerable communities, elderly folks, homeless folks who don't have regular access to even things as basic as water, right? So I think that civil society, nonprofits, and NGOs are increasingly going to be dealing with the effects of climate-related extreme weather phenomenon um, and other climate-related emergencies, particularly as it affects people and communities, not just in other places in the world, but wherever you're listening to this podcast, people will be affected by change in climate. And I think that that has really been underpinned by the news over the past week about the warming earth. Yeah, got a great summary. I know you were interested in writing this up. It makes sense to pay attention to the second order effects of the fact that you are more likely to be at risk when temperatures go above and dangerously above norm when you are of low socioeconomic standing in whatever community you happen to be in. For New York especially, I think there's an interesting, an interesting activity to look at the cooling centers. Cooling centers, you're like, what? That's a thing? Yes, very much so. Cooling centers are places that, according to the right to shelter in New York City and safe shelter, frankly, in New York City, that the city has to provide. And of course, if you need one or see someone who needs one, New York has a service that is 311, 311 if you're going to contact and want to find that center. But more importantly, I think for nonprofits providing services to these audiences, not to be weird about it, but they're going to be gathering more and more in these cooling centers. I would pay attention to where they are, how they're run, and what the opportunity might be to layer in additional services of support when these events happen and also use that as, again, a narrative for why now? Why do we need this money right now? I've talked about it before. The opportunity is to approach your audience when it is top of mind. And I'll tell you what, when you're able to say, did you notice it's hot out there? Did you notice if you are in a house that's cool, you have a privilege. We're trying to bring that privilege to others. Like that is the type of message in the moment that will convert better. And so I, I think the, um, the opportunity here is, is paying attention to, again, when these events happen, be ready to go with that type of messaging and also pay attention to how you may layer in additional services to cooling centers. Because I'll tell you what, the, uh, the cat's out of the bag on this one. That average is going to be broken again. We're going to be bringing it up again. How you respond, though, and prepare for it rather than be surprised by it is up to you and your communication strategy and fundraising opportunity, as well as how you layer in additional support to this affected community. Yeah, George, I think that that's exactly right. And in the newsletter, which we'll include in the show notes, we link to an article from the Coalition for Homeless, which has an article actually on helping homeless New Yorkers, asking them what they need during extreme weather, including 311. And George, you and I are both New Yorkers. Folks outside of New York may not know that 311 is kind of one of, I think, the greatest public service inventions of, of the past couple of decades, at least. It's essentially a non-emergency 911 number where if you have questions about your apartment, your gas is out, 
you need some kind of non-emergency service. You have an elderly person who needs X, Y, Z, a homeless person. It's the non-emergency basically helpline for city services. It's just a phenomenal service. So anyway, that Coalition for the Homeless article does a great job of outlining those kind of steps to take when you're worried about a vulnerable neighbor. But moving along, in addition to the earth making big moves, the tech world has also been upended by developing news in the battle over what comes next for microblogging, social media-esque sites like Twitter. So of course, Twitter was bought by $44 billion in the fall of last year by Elon Musk and now faces a new competitor in the form of Meta Instagram Threads. Threads is an app-only interface for the moment. You need an Instagram account to set it up. But essentially, it is then billed as the Twitter pillar. It has already garnered tens of millions. I think at some point it was 30 million. I think it may now be 100 million users, which I'm sure has Elon real thrilled over there at Twitter HQ. George, this is a huge deal. And you wrote an article on the difference between threads and Twitter. What are the key takeaways for nonprofit communication and marketing folks? And where do we go from here in the battle over what comes next for this type of social media? Yeah, I feel like this is a a throwback. It's been a while since we had a new social media platform come on and a bunch of folks run towards it. But the, the truth is, if it has attention and it retains attention, then you should invest at least some level of parking and playing on that platform. Uh, and that's just how I see it, regardless of your opinions of which billionaire is controlling your social media feed. The numbers coming in, they did 30 million and then downloads in the first day. And I have heard recently, like a week now into the game, they have 100 million. Whether or not they stay, I don't know. It's also important to note, frankly, if you're doing business or care about the EU, don't bother. They're not allowed on the platform yet. And you have to basically have an Instagram account. This is going to shake out. We're going to watch how the the culture evolves. They're really trying to stay away from political hotbed issues and pieces like that. You know, good luck. We'll see. There is a difference. There's a few differences between this exact copy of, you know, Twitter, <laughs> tiny ones, character limits, video length is notably longer, about 2x longer. Recently, frankly, also Twitter has stopped the sort of endless scrolling capabilities to whatever, for whatever reason. It doesn't seem like that exists in the same level for threads and you know it's a clone but i would say that there is some value in um in playing there there's no ads yet but what i am anticipating very very shortly is we're going to get this opportunity to advertise on threads once they have a little bit of a hum about it but they're um they're really coming for twitter in a big way and you know i, I think there's a lot of people rage quitting twitter and being coming over and others seeing what's going there so i, I um Something to look at, and I just wanted to bring up, uh, if you're a nonprofit and you have that Instagram account, it's worthwhile going over. Coming up with initial strategy, I haven't, other than the the general, you know, interactions, been able to get any good analytics on it, and that's where I come at it. Assume that, that it's going to be an insular platform following the Facebook model. Like, you're not going to get a ton of traffic, so you're posting links, come here. Like, you just, that's, that's not going to be the game. It didn't work on Twitter, didn't work on Instagram, it's not going to work here. And it doesn't fit with Facebook's hoarding of attention and keeping people on platform. 
that said, there could be opportunities if you are early to adopt in this period of time where things are still being figured out and exploring. So this is a, a time to test, but also remember what you post is probably permanent. Even if you can delete it, there's, you know, just don't let the intern run around with it. We learned, we did that already in 2010. Let's not do that again. George, I think that's super fair. I wonder, George, you talk about forming a culture, right? And I mm. think that that's one of the things Elon failed to grasp was that Twitter worked because of the culture of it. And once you start tweaking that culture, the value of it essentially decreases because the concept is at its core just very simple and easily replicable. Do you think that Meta forcing people to link Instagram accounts, which for many people are kind of their primary personal social media accounts these days, in some ways is going to limit the toxicity a little bit. People are a little bit maybe more apprehensive to, to go down those, those deep, dark rabbit holes uh, when their family and friends see them on Instagram. I wonder, it seems that Meta is really kind of emphasizing like a more quaint, social, less kind of abrasive dialogue environment. Of course, Meta has much more robust like trust and safety mechanisms and content moderation infrastructure. Do you think that that's something to look out for, that, that the platform actually could potentially be less toxic? The trust and safety is huge, huge. The amount of staff AI and investment that Facebook has done on this front is years, light years beyond what, what Twitter has. So if they did want to put their thumb on, I won't use the word suppressing, but downplaying maybe political uh, and hot button issues, uh, I think they can. I think the bigger piece for me is the tie to more verified accounts and real people. So look, the truth is when when you're when you're anonymous, you're more likely to act anonymously, annoyingly, and having this tied to that. That said, you're you know you're in a fun period to pay attention to to what happens. And right now, number goes up, but there seems there's like an inevitable gravity to platforms for them to go toward chaos or rage engagement. And the ones that I've seen avoid that are TikTok. And you better believe that Facebook is constantly trying to copy that, <laughs> that element. And that's where it's like actually very heavy on what gets into the feed and what gets amplified. And so I, I think, here's what I'll say. If you want to run the cute pets play on threads, like I would do that right now. I, I think there's like very old school, superficial, like smile, smile, click type of posting that you could get, get away with right now. And that would do just fine. We'll see. I'm excited to see whole whales threads account. I know uh, I jumped on there. On. I'm like, I'm the one who's doing it. I'm probably not the best suited for it, but I, I, I had it on my phone. I was like, oh, here we go. There we go. There you go. Hey, that's actually a good point, though. Any comms person working on that, they're doing it from their phones. We're in an app-only environment. So something to keep in mind. Correct. Correct. And it's also interesting, you know, we just had GPT OpenAI's record-breaking product adoption, you know, that 100 million in a couple months. This is like, this is looking like 100 million in a couple weeks. So there's this, you know, very very fast rate of adoption going on. But I am always in the back of my mind wary that the 
faster the rise, the faster the fall, if that makes sense. Things worth building mm-hmm. take time, I find. And so things that uh, burn too brightly early tend to fade faster. Wise words. We'll revisit this. I we'll revisit sure. it. <laughs> or I'll cut it out and be like, well, who said that? And it's like, it becomes a new <laughs> dominant force. Like, Time will tell. But you know what time is also telling us is that Google Analytics, the universal analytics deprecation, seems to be taking a lot more time than people realize. So we have an article here from surroundtable.com. And the article is Google Universal Analytics 3, still collecting data for most. We've been talking about this on the podcast for a long time. Universal Analytics, in theory, was deprecated at the end of June. And by July 1st, um, you're in GA4 only land. But George, we have many clients with accounts. As far as we can tell, uh, Universal Analytics is still going strong for most. Official Google Word seems to suggest that all the analytics accounts have been added to some kind of very depressing queue where they await their doom. And that line is <laughs> apparently a lot longer than we've realized. So we're just hanging out. We're having fun. I love that. This this like depressing queue, but it's it's no joke, right? Like 28 million websites use that version of Universal Analytics. So just flipping the switch. And some of the things we've been realizing, because we've been working on Uh, slick ways of exporting all of your historical universal analytics data into BigQuery and then visualizing it because those data are going to be deleted, um, according to posts, are going to be deleted. Your whole archive is going to be deleted in one year. So that means we're going to be yammering away one year from now as we approach July 1st, 2024, when those analytics are going away. But I will say there's a lot of data stored in there and parsing through it is you know i think it's taught our team quite a bit about like the amazing complexity behind the scenes of what's been stored i'll say we have still we have we're connected to hundreds of accounts and i haven't seen a single one go off yet but i have seen a very foreboding and i'll just sort of share it for you on the screen you'll see if you look at my analytics I'm playing around with a screen share, see what people like or not like. So here's just a backup property showing you what's going on. You'll see this. This property is scheduled to stop processing data very soon. Once this goes into effect, you'll need Google Analytics 4 to properly measure your website performance. And I've don't worry, I've already I've already backed this up. So that is the sort of, you know, you're in the queue type of alert. Uh, so I don't think you're you're getting away with anything. I guess time will tell on this as well. Um, one no, thing time won't. It's going away. <laughs> it's going away. But I actually, actually, this is for analysts who are looking at data, organizations who are eventually going to be in the process of stitching together new data versus old data. One, need to understand that GA4 uses different definitions. A session is a little bit different um, than universal analytics. It's not a one-to-one comparison, but also take into account um, when those properties go offline. Um, We're at a point in time when different properties may be collecting data until a different sunset date when the data actually get cut off. Um, so that's just mm-hmm. a, a small thing to keep in mind if you're one of those uh, in a data-heavy nonprofit environment where you need to stitch together um, data uh, consistently over time. It's just something to be aware of. But all right, I'll take us into our next story. This one comes with the Chronicle of Philanthropy and in some ways follows the theme of a story we highlighted last week about a decrease in 
donations. But the title of this article is Inflation is Easing, but Nonprofits Still, still Feel a Crunch. Um, so inflation um, is at some points uh, returning to fairly normal, I guess you can say, um, which is great news for the Fed. We see the market cooling a little bit, but this uh, article mentions that more than one in three organizations um, has seen their funding decrease over the past year. Um, the wonky economy um, has, uh, we've seen a lot of inflation, but still steady job growth and actually uh, um, uh, recruitment for uh, qualified employees is challenging. Um, so recruiting talent is a challenging uh, aspect for nonprofits, coping with higher than normal prices, right? So even though inflation's down, right, we're still dealing with those inflated prices. <laughs> you know, the prices are as high. They're just not increasing at as high a rate, right? Um, so high prices are still real. Um, George, what do we think about this? I think nonprofits still in a tough place because they lag the market. So even though we have seen upticks, uh, as you mentioned, uh, in in June in the stock market ending you know, fairly strongly there, the, the Fed saying there's probably only a, you know, a couple more basis points of playing with. Like this is not an economic podcast, but what I'll tell you is even though things may sound may be getting better, that lag time is easily six to 18 months for nonprofits. We saw it with the you know recession ish last year the pullback of the market then affecting donations so it happened you know in that that span and it's still carrying over a bit what i will say is um this pull away here is that nonprofit donations have declined over the past year about a third of nonprofits according to the chronicle of philanthropy report and the giving usa about a third of nonprofits are seeing funding decreases yet 70% uh, expect demand for services to rise. Uh, so that is a, uh, a notable delta, you know, fingers crossed that you are ready. And here's the tough thing, you know, if you are in that moment of like, oh, should we, you know, cut staff? Should we get lean? Like, yes, but no, because there is also this risk of if you dial back your end of year fundraising engine and campaign and things come roaring back, you will frankly, just not have the capacity to take advantage of that, which is, you know, the perennial problem I know of, you know, do we grow ourselves out or cut ourselves to the bone to get through? And, um, you know, that's, I, I don't envy nonprofits in, in certain tighter financial situations right now. Uh, and I, we are hearing of it. We talked the other week about even the Soros Foundation cutting staff by like 40%. Um, and other things out there. The overall job market, though, is allowing and loosening, I think, a bit for nonprofits to be pulling on talent. And, you know, that's uh, just, this is our us pretending to be economists. And I, I just like actually the, the days, weeks following the Giving USA report coming out where you can then like actually get some nonprofit data because the cycle time of our information for this is just outrageously slow we get like one-off reports coming from fundraising platforms being like according to these twenty thousand people we service here's what's happening i'm like what's happening in the overall so this is our moment to be the nonprofit economic speculators that i um i guess i want to play one on tv i hear you i guess i won't tell our audience that uh my college level macroeconomics was my lowest grade uh moving on to our next story um, George, do we have a feel good or do we have a joke? 
did I even put a feel good? I did. I have a nonprofit Force Blue teaches gold star children about the ocean. Nope, I didn't update it. Look at me go. We're going to go with joke. <laughs> I like how you set it up for me. Uh, that's right. We put together this newsletter every week. Sometimes I do better than others. But I do have a question for you. Why should fundraising professionals be careful about giving ladders? About giving ladders? Like giving ladders, you know, like laddering up. Giving, oh, giving, I like, see. You know, I see. Like I see. You're at this level and the ladder you up to this next level. But those giving ladders. Uh-huh. 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 Why? Uh, they're always up to something, Nick. Giving ladders are always up to something. Oh, my mistake. <laughs> they that that they are <laughs> um this joke not brought to you by nonprofits, where you can find fundraising professionals that are vetted part of a network that has been running for over five years and trusted by over four thousand nonprofits. excellent fundraising professionals i recommend you find one especially if you're looking for staff solutions that is a good option nonprofit.ist. all right nick see you thanks storage this has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 